And the chief priest and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he be some, or that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning to ambush, I'm sorry, they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, that he himself intended to go there shortly. So he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring the charges against him. After he stayed among them, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews, who had come down from Jerusalem, stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing uh, to the to their charges against me, no one can give them up. No one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, "To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go." Let's again return to the Lord and ask for His blessings on the reading and proclamation of His Word. Father, this is Your Word, and I pray that you would give me assistance as I handle it and as I proclaim it in the ears of your people. I pray that you would be their teacher. And Father, I pray that every person here would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ to trust in him. We pray in his name. Amen. It should come as no surprise that Christians should expect unfounded and unjust accusations will be lodged against them. We hear various forms of slander being uh, said about Christians every day. Most of the time these accusations take the form of sarcasm or of jokes. Other times it is in the form of uh, a commentary or, or by innuendo. Uh, rarely is it open and barefaced, but it is there, and it is becoming more mainstream every day. The reason why I bring this up is the Apostle Paul is standing here before this tribunal, and he is listening to these unfounded and unjust accusations being hurled against him. Verses 7 and 8. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many and serious accusations against him that they could not prove. 
And so then Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. And so Paul is uh, sitting here in front of the, the tribunal, in front of Caesar's tribunal, in front of Cestus, uh, Festus, and, and these, uh, the Jewish religious leaders have traveled up from Jerusalem to lodge these complaints against him. And this does not surprise the Apostle Paul because Christians were well aware that these very things would happen to them. In fact, those early disciples, Jesus told the, the, the uh, twelve disciples very pointedly that they would receive unjust and unfounded or that they would, they would have unjust and unfounded accusations hurled before them. This is what Scripture says. So, so for instance, um, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16, um, chapter 10, verses 16 through 18, also verses 24 and 25, and Jesus says to the disciples, this is to be expected and it is unavoidable. So Jesus told them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. A disciple, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is another name for, for Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? So he said, this is to be expected. It will happen. First Peter, um, the, the Apostle Peter, picking up on, on Jesus' words, wrote in his epistle uh, to the Christians, and he says, Don't be surprised that this is happening. So First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14 and verse 19. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. So Scripture says that they indeed would suffer uh, at the hands of unjust men, and these unjust men would hurl unfounded uh, accusations at them. And this was not only for those, for those uh, disciples and early apostles. Uh, rather, it continued on. Uh, and has continued, uh, we could point to examples in every century since the resurrection of Christ. Um, and so listen to this Roman description of Christianity in the 2nd century. Uh, one, of the, 
one of the uh, the Romans was describing to the government uh, what Christianity was all about. He said, these Christians recognize each other by secret signs and marks. They fall in love almost before they are acquainted. Everywhere they introduce a kind of religious lust, a promiscuous brotherhood and sisterhood. And what he was talking about here is the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper that uh, the Christians, didn't, they called it a love feast. And this Roman historian, well, it was commonly thought that when the Christians got together for their love feast, that it wasn't the Lord's Supper like we would celebrate it, but rather um, was a love feast whereby the whole church practiced promiscuity, to say it nicely. Uh, and accusations like this have gone forward um, every or ever since. And our day and age is no different. The only difference is that the speed and the scope of modern communication is able to accelerate the speed of the accusations. And I had several examples that I was going to bring in this morning. However, I knew that this was going to be a packed worship service. And, um, and I saw one this morning when I, I came into the office. I scanned the headlines to see what was happening in the world. And I, I saw one hot off the presses that goes right to this issue. Um, there was a Republican presidential primary uh, debate last night in New Hampshire. And the very issue that I am raising, the very issue that the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples to expect was at the heart of what they were talking about last night during some of their debate. And so, um, in fact, you could, you could, and I'm not encouraging you to do this, um, and I know people have smartphones, but uh, you could go right now to uh, the Drudge Report, click on their, their lead article, which he has as Stenoff, mess or something like that um, in reference to the uh, in, to the debate and you would find exactly what I'm referencing one of the candidates said last night in talking about because the the moderator raised this issue of bigotry and um, and and directed it in a backhanded way toward the church. Uh, and the candidate answered this this um, by saying the bigotry question goes both ways. There is a lot more anti-Christian bigotry today than there is concerning the other side, and none of it gets covered by the news media. And his, the, the point was, when Christians stand up for moral issues, it is immediately assailed as bigotry. And so Christians are called bigots continually. And he is saying, uh, and this candidate uh, was answering that charge. And then another candidate seconded uh, his, the, the first candidate's comment. And the, the audience apparently, or reportedly, went wild with applause because they knew that to be true. And so, like I said, uh, the point that I'm making uh, was right there at the heart of of um, of a news report 
this morning. However, in spite of unfounded, unjust accusations being lodged against us, Christians must insist that justice and righteousness be upheld. Um, And one of the ways we must do that is we must be involved in the civil and political systems. Now, in the previous generations across America, I say previous 30, 40 years um, or so, America tried to combat this onslaught of of anti-Christian bigotry um, by exerting their influence in the civil and political spheres. And so the the names of Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, D. James Kennedy, these guys were some of the more prominent leaders uh, of this movement. And as I understand it, and I'm not very well read on all of this, on this subject, but these men proclaimed uh, a doctrine of manifest destiny for the United States, that America was especially called of God to be a shining light on a hill to proclaim the gospel's message and its blessings of and the blessings of liberty to uh, the nations of the world. And in light of communism at the time, this message was widely received um, in many corners that America is that is God's nation to preserve the gospel, to spread the gospel, and to preserve uh, freedom and liberty. Now, I read the scriptures and I find nothing about America having a manifest destiny. The only destiny that I am sure that America will have is that on the last day, when our Lord Jesus comes back with with, um, His holy angels, that America or whatever nation is occupying our land at the time, will be destroyed by fire when Jesus comes back to create a new heaven and a new earth. Like I said, that's the only way that I have seen that the Bible speaks about um, our nation's future. Because every nation will be consumed, the world will be consumed, and uh, Jesus will return to a new heaven and a new earth. Otherwise, I cannot see that the Bible speaks to this issue with any clarity whatsoever. But the issue before us, and the reason I raise this, is what is Christianity's relationship to culture? Whether it be an American culture, whether it be a communist Chinese culture, whether it be an African culture, uh, whether it be a, a European culture, what is Christianity's relationship to culture? Well, to to state the issue um, succinctly and maybe even oversimplify it, we are to serve the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we are. We are to obey the laws of our nation, whatever those laws might be, unless, of course, those laws require us to break the law of God. But in saying that, we are never to simply acquiesce to whatever our culture says. We are not to put our bury our head in the sand. Rather, we are to always 
lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. We are always to proclaim His Gospel. We are always to proclaim the righteous standards of God's Holy Word. Whatever our culture might, uh, however our culture might disagree. In other words, Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we are considering our relationship to culture, Christians must be willing to speak against injustice and unrighteousness. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing uh, right here in our passage, verse 10. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. The Jews unjustly, unrighteously want to take him back to Jerusalem. He is standing on the laws there, uh, the Roman laws, and he is insisting that those laws be upheld. I am standing here before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. And so he is speaking out, uh, of course for his own self-preservation, but he is also speaking out against the injustice that is being brought before him. And we must do so as well. Our government, and I'm not talking about the president uh, or the present uh, administration. I am speaking about our government in general, the way it has existed in my lifetime. Uh, so I'm not talking. I'm not singling any uh, one party or any one person out. But there has been a movement within our government, within our culture, to um, to discriminate against Christianity in regard to moral issues. They don't call these issues moral issues. They call them political correctness. And there is this standard of political correctness that everyone must adhere to. Otherwise, you are labeled as politically incorrect or, or maybe even as a bigot. Uh, I am going to single out one specific issue that came up this week that... Uh, and I feel like I've got to say in some public forum, otherwise I'm going to explode. And that is uh, Planned Parenthood has received $480 plus million plus of taxpayer money and their chief, um, the chief thing that they are known for, although I know they do many other things, is the practice of abortions. And the laws of our nation, as I understand them, say that that is not supposed to be happening. But it's happening. Um, And that is wrong. And we as Christians must stand up and say that is wrong. I avoid political discussions from this pulpit. I try to avoid political issues as a pastor of the church. Because we live in a spiritual kingdom. But where there are moral issues, where the Lord Jesus Christ in His righteousness 
is being kicked to the side and then we by our tax money are made to acquiesce, are made to be a part of that, we must stand up and say it is wrong. Even if we're not made by our tax money, we must stand up for moral, for, for God's righteousness. Now, in saying that, uh, we also must be willing to suffer for our convictions. Verse 25, Paul, I'm sorry, verse 11, Paul says that uh, if, I have, if I am not a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. So he is willing to suffer for his convictions. I like going with the flow. <laughs> I don't like creating a stir. But sometimes we have to swim upstream. Sometimes we have to to step out and and cause a ruckus. And I'm not talking about a riot, but speak out for the issues of righteousness and justice and godliness and suffer whatever consequences come our way. Our Lord Jesus He went to the cross and died for us. And He promised the early Christians and in so promising them promised us that we would be subject to injustice, to unfounded accusations because of our stand for righteousness. Are we willing to stand? Are we willing to speak? Because our Lord Jesus is not just King here in the church. He is King of the universe. He rules and He reigns. And one day every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that He is the Lord to the glory of the Father. And we as His followers must follow Him even if it means suffering in some way or another. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray as I have a very small voice, I pray that the voice of believers not only in America, but all across the globe, would stand up for righteousness, for godliness, for the morality that you lay out in the Scriptures. God, we live with a foot in this world as pilgrims. However, our citizenship is in heaven. And it's hard to find that balance but God, when we are confronted with unrighteousness, we see it, or we know it when we see it, and help us to speak against it. But in so doing, also, help us to point to our Lord Jesus, rather than to ourselves, rather than to any um, self-righteousness, for we have none. But always point to our Lord Jesus. Father, uh, as the political season 
is uh, revving up as um, the primaries um, draw closer here to our own state. Uh, we're going to we're going to um, have more. Be, we're going to have a whole lot more attention uh, given to our state. A, a whole lot of other things are going to be said, and uh, we are going to be very easily tempted to look, uh, to be distracted, and to take our eyes off of Jesus and to wring our hands. Um, but I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned the shame in order that uh, he might be our righteous Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.